and welcome to the Matthew Clark Interview Podcast, where we sit down with the industry's key figures. Today, we're talking to Martin Moore, cellar master here at Durbanville Hills Winery. Founded in the late 1990s, Durbanville Hills Wines has wasted no time in establishing one of Durbanville's leading wineries. The Durbanville Hills region is the second oldest wine region in South Africa. Thank you for having me here today, Martin. Um, much appreciate it. Great for you as well. So, a couple of questions just about yourself as well as uh, Durbanville uh, Hills, the wines that you make here. So first, this area, it's really classified as a cool climate area. We, we spoke about this earlier, there's, there's well, loads of ocean influence on the area, cool winds coming in from mm. well, three, three different places basically. What's it like making, making wine in, in such a cool area? It's easy. Mm. I've got table bay close to us, which you can see from the cellar if you look down, it's about nine kilometers, um, which is a big influence because whenever it warms up, we're only nine kilometers away. So if we get warm air building up here, warm air goes up, some other air has got to come in below it, and we suddenly get this flush of cool air coming from the table bay side. The biggest influence is actually the one blowing away the warm air, which is the southeaster, Cape Circle, Cape Doctor blowing in all the way from False Bay side and it blows back into the ocean on the west coast side. Now it took me, I'm a slow learner apparently, it took me a bit of time. I was always aware of the influence of Table Bay. I was always aware of the influence of False Bay. But if you just look to the side here, we actually open to the west coast, which is quite close to us and that is cold, very cold water. So whenever we don't have the winds blowing, the, the videos that are exposed to that side, the night temperatures actually drop like hell, mm. which ensures on that side that we start with ice cold grapes every morning. It took me a bit of time to figure that out. <laughs> so it's proper day picking for you then, because picking in the morning, grapes the, the, way too cold. The fortunate, the, now the fortunate thing that we have is we, we do have a mass cooler and cooling systems, mm -hmm. but we, we look at temperatures, we measure temperatures whenever the grapes come in, and it's actually fairly late in the day before we need to start up the cooling system. And that's, I think it's a, it's a biggest advantage you have versus other areas. Um, we've checked the advantages of grapes coming in, especially Sauvignon Blanc, coming in in the afternoon if the grapes are warm. If you put it in a cold room, they actually revitalize themselves until the next morning. If you crush them, then a lot of flavor is missing because it oxidizes up because of the, uh, the warmer temperature. Mm -hmm. So just cooling it down overnight in a, in, a, in a reefer, as we call them, makes a huge difference. Your first price is cooling it down in the vineyards. I love cool climate. A lot of winemakers tell me it's a boring area. It's, every year is the same. Yeah. Until I hear about their heat waves and all the other stuff that they get, give me cool climate, boringness, any day. Cool climate every day, right. So you've, you've been here for quite a while, um, pretty much from the start. She joined in 1998, if I'm correct. Yeah, it was basically with brick number one. <laughs> brick number one. So what, besides, you know, more, more than one brick, what has changed over time since you started? Here? I actually had to, it's funny because when we built the cellar, it was obviously 20 years ago, it was modern. Um, the technology moves so fast that if you don't keep up, you're behind. Yeah. And it was, interesting journey with some of the distilled financial guys putting in a budget they get the answers like but the cellar was built the other day how, how could you forget this and I said yeah, yeah. And I remember budget constraints 
But stuff like fermentation control, automatic fermentation control, I'm talking about oxid, uh, micro-oxygenation came in over time. We've got condensers cooling the fermenting aromas off, putting them back into the tank. A hell of a lot has happened in the 20 years. I, got, I did a uh, presentation the other day just for our international salespeople to, to show them that the seller hasn't been standing for 20 years. We've been moving on. Mm -hmm. It was a 48-page PowerPoint presentation with one item per page that we've changed. I think it's on 52 now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so loads of things changed, really keeping up um, with technology. The biggest, the biggest change that, that had to take place mm -hmm. was actually out there in the vineyards. When I got here, the vineyards were extremely vigorous. All the, all the research has been done on the other side of the mountain because they get much higher tonnage, tons per hectare, so they can actually pay for research. The problem is that a lot of our older viticultures then took that research just like that and said this is South African way of doing, which in cool climate in our area versus a place like Robertson, it's like telling a guy in Chablis to do research that's been done in Champagne because it's close enough. Yeah. It's not. So we basically had to reinvent the wheel in the vineyards. We had to get the farmers away from those overly vigorous vertical shoot positioning vineyards, mm -hmm. which I then edged down with cutters that it looked like something you could jump horses over. We had to change all of that in order to get the grapes that we want. Mm -hmm. So in red, we wanted to induce more color, get away of anything that looks like a green flavor. And on the Sauvignon Blanc, by, especially by about 2005, no one wanted high acidity and the parts in the green pepper flavors. Mm -hmm. So we knew exactly how to change that. So we trained, the trailer systems have changed, the way of thinking have changed to get more sunlight in on Sauvignon Blanc, where the old practice was just keeping sunlight out as far as possible. It was very satisfying from 2005 progressing to see where we are now. Mm. Okay, so that's, that's quite a story from, you know, 98 till 2005 till where we are now. So before you joined here, um, and certainly spent some time making some fortified wines. Yeah, those were interesting times. Um, I started off at KWV mm -hmm. as a graduate with a four-year degree, thinking you know everything. After a month, realizing that you know nothing, and I was very fortunate to work at KWV under a guy called Willy Hacker, German import that brought him in and um, he was fairly close to retiring so I worked with him first thing that you get from working with a German guy is cellar hygiene and I still believe if you look at some of the sellers that I've worked in a couple in, in, in Europe Germany excluded if I look, worked in a couple of sellers there they're all afraid of global warming if their cellar starts warming up you're gonna have explosions in that cellar of bugs that will be too happy. They're just being kept down now because the cellar's out of cold. So cellar hygiene for me is not negotiable. It's tough for me now. We've got um, a fair drought in Cape Town that we've got to limit our water usage. Normally you can give me any square meter in the cellar and I will eat from it. So we have to unfortunately cut back somewhat and um, say everything at intrinsic that's in direct contact with wine will be as clean as it can be mm -hmm. and some of the window dressing that looks nice we have to sacrifice so that's what I've the first thing I've, I've learned from Viliaka 
So I made a white wine under him. And then I was posted over to being responsible for the red wine site, sold under him. Mm-hmm. Where I also made, at that stage, we were still allowed to call them port, sherry, sweet wines, and some muscadels, which was, which was fun. Not as much as making them, because a lot of these things we made in external cellars and we just matured them. Mm-hmm. But to get in there and work with 1948 port style wines that I had to bottle. You sort of get a huge respect that someone else has actually made this wine in 48 and you are now entrusted to put it in the bottle, mm. which for a 27 year old was fairly scary. And so I've, I've got a soft spot for those old sweet wines because yeah. I inherited them, most of them. And the others was made under my supervision, mostly at outside cellars and then just put in maturation. But I'm, I'm, I will never look back as saying that it was a waste of time. It was a, I think what, you, what, what happens if you work with those old, old um, fortified wines is you really get respect for one. Yeah. Um, to the point that you later, even if it's a one year old white that you might, you treat it with respect. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I had that experience. Yeah, it's quite amazing to work with such old wines that you weren't even around or you know. You I wasn't you born when they were made. Yeah. But you're still responsible for all of that. So that was, and, and we even discovered some down in the cellar at Kettleby. We had some, there were about 2,000 litre vats that when we started looking at that stage, we were, it was the start of maturing wines in smaller barrels. Mm-hmm. So we were looking for a place to mature 225 litre barrels. And we went, we went under the maturation cellar. There was a small one, actually the pillars supporting the cellar. Um, which the floor of the cellar, but there was a door, so we opened it. I think it was the first people to open it in I don't know how long, and we walked in there and said, "Well, this is a perfect spot for small barrels." And then we discovered these old ones and still had these chalkboards on, with 1952s and 1948s and 1960s, and um, we had to go through the wine spirits board, which fortunately I had the old records so they could actually say that they agree that what's in there on the chalkboards are actually what they've got on their system so the, those were bottled as those old vines old wines. Oh, that is amazing and did this really influence like your approach to to winemaking as well because you've you've been quoted as well, saying wines are made in the vineyard but on the other hand you're you're very keen on, on you know you work on aging I, I, and really taking care of I think they, I think they um Wines are made in the vineyards are very often interpreted in that far as that if you don't get it right in the vineyards, you've got no chance in the cellar. If you get it right in the vineyard, then you can really start crafting and and making proper stuff in the cellar. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where this whole thing comes from that good wine are made in the vineyards. It's actually, it should actually be, if you don't get good grapes in the vineyard, you've got no chance. (laughs) Um, We do a hell of a lot in the cellar to to get the wines to the quality where they are. But you need the primary fruit in, in order to do that. We can't manufacture it. So it's a, it's a hell of a combination. I think a lot of people actually realize that if they don't get it right out there, mm-hmm. um, they're not getting it right at all. So that's where there's such a lot of emphasis on the vineyards. And that, that was our first task. We, we had to get it right out there and change it and then come to the cell and say, okay, now we've got a shot at it. So, about the wines itself then, because right now we're, we're tasting uh, some of the Dermot Hill Sauvignon Blanc 2017 actually, so that's probably going to be in, in the UK very soon. 
But besides the Bovignon, we also have uh, on white wine, Chardonnay um, and Shannon. Could you tell us a little bit about these wines? I think the, if you look at Chardonnay in this area, it is such an easy variety to work with. We've planted it in some of the spots, but the main thing that you need to do with Chardonnay that is why people decide very often on an easy vineyard spot that's not necessarily best for the quality. Is you need dormant, it need to go into dormancy, dormancy, and you need to get it out of dormancy, which means it, it's got to get sudden cold, go to sleep, and a sudden um, warm shock to get it awake. With our climate here, it's it's not the most suited for getting it in and out of dormancy. But once you get it in and out of dormancy, you're in the pound sheets. Because flavor-wise, we get these lemon and lime flavors. I mean, the Rhino Fields um, Chardonnay we've had it in the 19 odd years, but that was about four years ago already, in say in 15 years, on Chardonnay de Mont, a huge show in, in France. We've twice been in the top 10 in the world with our Rhinofield Chardonnay. And stylistically, with, it, with that lime flavors that you get, along with careful wooding, it's actually very, very easy to make. Mm-hmm. Um, Chenin Blanc is, again, is a very easy variety to work with. You've got to keep your foot off the pedal and not let it bear too much because it can be a heavy bearer. And then obviously in cool climate, you've got to make sure that it doesn't rot. So that's basically the, if you get that right, you've got the grapes that you want. Sauvignon Blanc, if you look at the, the challenge we have here is, we're sitting in cool climate. All the expectations are that we must produce excellent Sauvignons. There's no excuses. And for me, especially with the, with the Hills blend, the Domal Hills blend, that is our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. That's our biggest seller. In South Africa by 2005, if you look at Nielsen's figures, which only look at off-consumption, we became the market leader. We're currently sitting on South Africa with about 17% market share with that. And then by 2007, according to Nielsen's, the whole double use range became the market leader. So we do measure off-consumption sales against the others. At this stage, we're sitting with a yields range at 9.4% market share in South Africa, in premium and up, which is a a very nice position to be in and I think the the thing that we've managed to do to get people to get us up to that level is consistency and trust. Um, I always get it when people say they walk into a place, they get a wine list and they don't know what to order, they go for Domelius because they know it and they trust it. Yeah. Which, is a, which is especially with the Sauvignon Blanc being the lead in that, it's, it's a nice position to be in. Yeah, so taste profile, I really say it's, it's a little bit in between New Zealand and Old World. We are sitting in the middle. But as I say, the challenge for me with that is that it's not a Mickey Mouse volume. We know more or less the style of all where, we, where we're heading for, because you need consistency on a wine like that. You can't chop and change every year. And for me, the challenge is out in the vineyards, knowing what we have in the cellar already. So if I feel in the cellar we're too much towards the green side, I've got to leave some other vineyards to ripen a bit more to balance it out. So you're basically driving out there in the vineyards, making the blend in your head, like constantly knowing what's in the cellar and what's still out there, mm-hmm. and then balancing it out by leaving some stuff longer, pick some earlier. So um, that for me is probably the most bloody stressful variety or blend to make up because most of it is made up by driving out there yeah. and, and looking for something, say I'm lacking this, in the blend, we don't have this. And the main thing that we, when you're standing out on the making the blend, I need variety. And that is a nice thing that you get with hills. Because very often with a hill, you will get 
an elevation difference from up to 25-30 meters above sea level difference in the same block. They are in the hills, so very often you have south and southeastern and southwesterly slopes in the same block. And so you've got to firstly be able to conclude on that old block when to pick it. And I think I've, I've, we've got a joke here with a happy mix. I don't want a perfect thing from a block, I need a happy mix. And we took a bit of time to get it through to the farmers that I don't want the ideal perfect Sauvignon Blanc from each block. It's Legos. Yeah. If the block is a yellow one, I want it as yellow as possible. A red one as red as possible. We will do the building. We'll play. But give it to me ex as much ex uh, in your face of that block specific character. Yeah, so you've got straight building blocks. To it's it's about building blocks. It's not about putting perfect blends together. Okay, so the reds, Merlot and, and Pinotage. And a Merlot is quite a well-known variety. Um, Pinotage is, is famous for mm -hmm. um, in, in South Africa. Uh, but you don't see that much of it in, uh, in the UK, I would say. So well, could you tell us a little bit about those, those two wines in particular? It's, it's interesting. Um, let's start with Merlot. Yeah. That was our first red success um, when we started changing the vineyard practices. It was our first real success um, because it ripens early. Um, you could actually change the canopy somewhat with a huge effect on the, on the vineyards. A um, couple of years ago, we changed over more of our murders to Smart Dyson, which is a where instead of the VSP, the vertical shoot positioning, where all the shoots are going upwards, we actually took half of them down to the bottom to open it up. Mm -hmm. I called it opening the calzone. All the fruit is not in the inside anymore. And um, we had huge success with that. So our Merlot country also is the market leader in South Africa, um, the Hills Range. Um, South Africans drink a couple of our Merlot. I think the only other country that is so uh, taken up by it is Germany, which they drink a lot. Funny enough, in the I was in the States a week ago. If you go out to the more into the country and not the the clever cities, some of the guys will say that sideways have never knocked them, never knocked themselves. And in one of the shops, most of them say that it's making a comeback. In one of the shops, I saw the biggest Merlot collection that I've probably seen in any wine shop everywhere. Wow. Merlot's making a big comeback there. It's a unsophisticated, unpretentious variety, which is probably why South Africans like it, because I understand it. It's yeah. just a very nice wine, uh, and they are easy drinking. A firm favorite of us in the cellar is Pinotage, uh, so local variety. We've learned a lot on how to handle it. Planting it, we have a joke that a good Pinotage wants to see the ocean. So our best Pinotages come from the west coast side, it's actually exposed up into the ocean. We've done a lot of experiments with Pinotage and the lesson that Pinotage gives us is don't experiment with me, I know what I'm doing. I'm just picking when I'm right. Yeah. And Pinotage needs to be picked right. We've done a lot of experiments with picking earlier, leaf pluckering, a lot of things. There's only one rule for Pinotage to pick me right. Look at the seeds, the seeds are brown and hard, pick me. And in the cellar it's, it's as easy. It's probably the most generous variety with color which again shows me that we don't understand genetics. Because if you look at the crossing, it's Sinzo, Pinot Noir. Yeah. Both of them don't have color. I so it's Pinotage you don't want in your clothes, because you'll never get the stain out. It's one plus one is three. <laughs> it's, we don't understand those things. Yeah. But it's, it's so generous that we don't even ferment it dry on the skins. About four or five volume. We draw it off, mm -hmm. press it, and let it ferment dry in the tank. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a, I think it's probably the most unforgiving variety if you are in cool climate. 
Right. In cold climate, it tends to fall over. I found it in Constantia as well. Yeah. It tends to fall over to the Pinot Noir pairing. Mm -hmm. In warm climate, it tends to go more for the rustic Sinzo flavors, which are not always that nice. So, um, having said all that about Pinotage, I have to narrow it down and say I'm talking about cool climate Pinotage. So, Pinotage, in, in your opinion, is actually, is it, is, is it underrated? I think it's heavily underrated. We've just been, I've just been on tour in, in, the, in the States with a blend that we made Pinotage, 80% Pinotage, Finnish Rice. They just loved it. It's such a fresh, fruity variety. The other thing that I always tell people is chill it out. If you're in a warm climate, okay, not London, not winter. In our, in our climate especially, the tannin structures are friendly. The, the, the main reason people don't chill reds down is because the tannins become extremely aggressive if you chill them down. Pinotage, you don't even see the, 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 the difference. Yeah. I would say if you chill it, a little Pinotage, if you chill it down, it's like a, a rosé on steroids. It's just got more <laughs> oomph, but it's friendly. <laughs> It's like a mill rosé, rosé for men. Yeah. Although in the US they've got rosé, of course, so they're, they're already fully into the yeah, yeah, yeah. rosé. Alright, so a big, bald, chilled, red pinotage. Oh, if you look at our culture, we do a lot of barbecues, brides outside when it's hot. You don't always want a, red, a white wine, but you don't want a warm red wine. No. That's perfect standing next to the fire with a slightly chilled pinotage. Yeah, so instead of rosé, you would go for that. Well, the rosé is another story. I often get it, my friends would tell me, won't you open a rosé for the ladies? Uh, I can see in their glass that they're also having it. Yeah. Because it's pink. So that's definitely a male-female thing. It's not a, a wine aimed at one gender. Um, this year, a rosé sold so quickly that we had to do an interim blend in harvest time. Right. But the 2017 vintage reds are so dark that when we, when we harvested the stuff for the interim blend, the moment we tipped it, it was already too dark. Ah, right. Or darker than we wanted it. Yeah. So, um, it, 2017 is going to be known as one of the best color years on red wine ever. Mm -hmm. And I joke, we got it right on the, on the bigger blend later on, when we knew what to expect on color. So, we changed the vineyard practices and we got the loads here, smaller loads very quickly, in order not to get color on the loads. Everyone, everyone making rosé this year, we're talking about the difficulty on getting them as light as you want to. You always consider just mixing it with some white. Just no, with it. there's one way of making rosé, <laughs> and then you make rosé. <laughs> I wouldn't do it, but it's the only way you think of, is just not to get that dark colour then. So do you think that darker colour also gives a lot more flavour profile to the wines? It's in all vintage? in the mind. I think the, the main thing, that if you have a darker colour, if I listen to the marketing guys, and I've now experienced it in the, in the, in the market, that they actually expect them to be sweeter when they're darker. Yeah. And it's purely a perception. Even if they dry, mm -hmm. they're going to perceive it as being sweeter than it actually is. Yeah. And what we do on the, on the Muller Rosé is I purely pick on flavor profile. So somewhere in the middle, it gives you an enormously strong mulberry flavor. And that's when we pick. So I mean, the sugar levels on that is less than three around about three which is dry but that mulberry perception actually gives you a sensation that you think it's sweeter than it is mm -hmm. which it is not right so if you if you look at all of these wines at um Hills, and you've been here for quite a while so it might have changed in between but which one would be your absolute favorite and how would you like enjoy it how is it best enjoyed if i you have to look at what pays your salary um, 
I think the most demanding one, which is also the most satisfying at the end, is definitely the Sommelier Blanc. Mm-hmm. Stylistically, we make a style that is not in your face. I believe it that, that if you're talking, sitting with friends around the table, you don't want to pick up the glass, break your conversation and say, hmm, nice wine. I want you to say every now and again, my glass is empty. Yeah. That should be the intrusion. We're not in the perfume business, I believe in especially with the hills um, range the wines must be in the glass you must stick your nose in there to get the complexity yeah. but if you're simply just sitting drinking it just enjoy it the flavors are there everything is there mm-hmm. but it's not going to stop you in your tracks doing what you're doing and i've had it with wines when i'm sitting on my bum music on tv on sound or book that you get wines that distract you you're reading and every now and again i would take a sip of wine I don't want to, before I turn the page, say, hmm, oh, this wine's interesting or strong or whatever. Yeah. That's not what wine is made for. It's just to enjoy it. It's just to enjoy it. So you would say just have the Sauvignon Blanc on a random Thursday night on the couch, reading a book? Summer. Summer, yeah. Winter, I might go for something like a soft Molo Pinotage. And it all depends. Uh, I like cooking, so. Often when I make a pasta, for instance, with something a mince based or something, I just get the craving for pinotage, mm-hmm. put half the bottle in the dish, half the bottle in myself, and <laughs> Bob's your uncle. Whilst <laughs> <Whilst> cooking. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, I've got one last question then. What do you think be the future, um, both for yourself as well as, as Durbanville Hills, because you live and breathe Durbanville Hills by now? I would say, what, what's the future? If you look at the cellar, the potential and everything as a whole, we've, for the past couple of months or years, we've been saying that the way that we're selling in South Africa, we must be close to the ceiling. We've been saying that for three, four years, and then suddenly the salespeople discover something like wine by the glass, and bam, up we go again. Um, but the challenge is now to eat the export markets properly. We are very well trusted and consumed brand locally. And it's not time to share it. All right. Well, I think that's that's a wrap for us then. Thank Good. you uh, very much for, for having me here today. That's um, a pleasure. And uh, hopefully see you soon in London. To find out more about Dermophil Hills, visit the Matthew Clark website or speak to your account manager. And don't forget to join us next time where we'll be talking to Gerard Swart, winemaker at Flagstone.